Okay, everybody, you're very welcome to discuss today a big book study where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is the 6th of August, 2022, and my name is Audrey Ann, and I'm a recovered compulsive operator from County Mead in Ireland, and I will be your host today for the big book study. The co-hosts are Veronica C. and Johan. If you have any questions during the meeting, please contact either myself or the co-host by private messaging in the chat function. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the questions and answers sessions which follows will not be recorded. We will post the link to the previous week's recording in the chat function. We ask if you could please make sure to keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen for any reason. We will post the link to the previous recordings and the seven tradition later in the chat function. And I will now turn the meeting over to Harlan G. Thanks, Harlan. Oh, thank you very much, Audrey. I'm so glad to be here. So glad to be here. Thank you for your service. And thank you to everybody that makes this possible. The hosts, the co-hosts, the people behind the scenes on the website that do the recordings, that post the recordings. Thank you to all of you. Um, it's a beautiful day here in Arizona. I hope it's as absolutely stunning wherever you are. Uh, it is already 97 degrees here. We're going up well past 100. I hope that's not your fate, but uh, I hope it's as beautiful a day wherever you are as it is here in Arizona today. We have been taught, oh, before I get to where we are and, and, and kind of reviewing, I just want to make a couple of announcements. Uh, we are on for Westchester County, New York. I don't know specifically where in Westchester County this is. I will find out, but we're going to be in Westchester County, New York with a live big book workshop, the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December. So pack your coat, pack your sweater, and pack your big book because we're going to do big book the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December in Westchester County, New York. And we wanna really make this very successful. About one month after that is the OA birthday. I just wanna keep reminding you to save your shekels, your Euro dollars, your Zlotas, your whatever you have and save it up, save your stuff because we are going to knock this out of the park with the birthday. I'm really looking, we wanna to try to get 2000 people there. And if we do, it'll be very, very wonderful. It'll be so good for all of us. So please, please let us count on you to be at the birthday. That'll take place in Los Angeles, California at the LAX Hilton. And that will be the 13th, the 14th and the 15th of January of 2023. So that will be coming up here after the first of the year. Okay, that said, we are in the chapter, We Agnostics. And one of the questions that I get from time to time is, you always say that whatever chapter you're speaking on is your favorite chapter. And that's true by and large, but this is my least favorite chapter because it brings up the subject that is very sensitive to most of us. And that subject 
is the subject of God, because we look at this chapter and we see the title of the chapter, We Agnostics. Now notice, he didn't state you agnostics, those agnostics, to the agnostic. He said, we agnostics. Now, what is an agnostic? What sets an agnostic apart from a believer or an atheist? A believer is someone who believes that there is a religious, religiously associated deity, sometimes with a long gray white beard, sometimes not, up in the sky with a staff, sometimes not, whatever it is you choose to believe in. And every single time I say the word God, please, I will remind you of this, I am talking about God as you perceive that God. Notice I didn't use the word understand because I don't like that word sometimes, even though I will use it from time to time because people get hung up in that and they say, but I don't understand God. I'll let you in on a secret. I don't either. I don't understand sometimes why the world unfolds the way it unfolds. I just know that God didn't put a bunch of robots on earth and much of the things that we read in the newspaper, many of the things that we lament in the headlines are not God doing those things. They are human beings that have free will and the free will means they can do good or they can do bad. And sometimes people choose to do terrible things to one another. And I assure you that if it's a God of mercy, as I perceive it to be, or a God of love, as I perceive it to be, then that God is crying right with us. I'm not a Calvinist. Calvinism believes that everything is predetermined, everything. But if you are a Calvinist, that's okay. It's whatever you believe to be that power greater than yourself. So a believer believes that there is a religious or religiously associated deity that is sort of the emperor in charge of all this stuff. And a, uh, a an atheist believes the opposite, that there is no religiously associated deity up in the sky with a long white beard and a staff and sheep running around, running everything. No, but what is an agnostic? An agnostic is neither a believer nor an atheist. Ad means without, gnostic means knowledge. So they are not sure. And I think most of us come in here and we're gonna read these words in the book, maybe not today, but we're gonna read these words in the chapter that most human beings are born with a fundamental idea of a higher power. Most of us are. And I believe that there is a power greater than myself. Remember that the second step, all it asks of me is that I either believe or be willing to believe, willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. And that's all I need to make my beginning. All I'm required to believe to make a beginning is a willingness to believe that there is a power greater 
than myself. And that's all that's required of me. So with that in mind, the definition of an agnostic, let's move forward. But before we do, as is my want, as is my history, we will always review what we did last week, just for a little bit to kind of keep us going. But I will tell you where we're going to start. So you do know, we're going to start on page 44. And we're going to start with the paragraph, but it isn't so difficult. It is, but it isn't so difficult. That's where we're going to start. Now, when we read the second step, which is what this uh, chapter is concerning itself with. It is the only chapter that concerns itself itself with step two. What we're going to be finding is that there are many, many ways to perceive this second step. And if you've ever heard me on a podcast or you've ever been around me, I am of the belief that the two most underutilized steps are two and 10. And the two most misunderstood steps are three and four. So let's go into step two with this idea that we're going to enhance our value of it. We're going to enhance our appreciation of it. And we're going to lean into step two a little stronger than we've ever leaned into it when we have a deeper, broader understanding of it. But let's take a look at the wording of the step before we say another word. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, most people stop after came to believe. They say, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And I want to stop you after the second word, came to. Stop right there. Stop right there. Came to. Because we have been working step one. How do you work step one? Well, the answer is you don't. Steps one, two, and three are conclusion of the mind in steps one and two. They are conclusions of the mind. And step three is a decision. So there's no real way to work steps one, two, or three. How do you know you're working step three? You've got a pencil and a pad in your hand and you're doing step four. But let's take a look again at step number two. Came to stop right there. Because when we're in the food, when we're in the food, we are heavily anesthetized. That is the only real word that I can use. What is an anesthetic? An anesthetic is something, whether it's topical, whether it's internal, whether whatever kind of anesthetic that it is, it numbs us to pain. It numbs us to feeling the feelings. I've had 19 hours of plastic surgery. I've had two knees replaced and two hips replaced. If I didn't have anesthetic, how, and I've had oral, I've had root canals and I've had uh, uh, caps on my teeth and I've had all manner of dental uh, surgery also, you know, with the Novocaine and all that. How would I have survived? How would any of us have survived without an anesthetic? So by the administration of an anesthetic, I wasn't able to feel the pain. And to a lesser degree, lesser meaning not as long lasting, M&Ms, 
and pizza and french fries have long provided me with an anesthetic. An anesthetic to what? An anesthetic to feeling the feelings that I have been plagued with for uh, my whole life. I bet I'm the only one that falls into this category. There's 138 people here so far and 137 of them are not Harlan, but I bet I'm unique in this area because when I feel fear or I feel anger or jealousy or guilt or shame or remorse, or I feel this anxiety over what might happen today or tomorrow or in the hereafter, I want to anesthetize that feeling. And my brain, because it has been trained to do so, will go to what it knows to be the most highly effective anesthetic that I can administer to myself short of hitting myself in the head with a hammer or something. No, I'm kidding. But the most effective anesthetic that I know of is sugar, flour, fried foods, crispy fried foods like potato chips or French crispy fries, something like that. And those substances will anesthetize me to pain. The only problem is it only lasts for about nine, maybe 10 seconds. And then I feel the pain, but my brain cannot focus on that. My brain has a built-in forgetter that is called the mental blank spot. And I am eating in search of relief to the pain I'm feeling, even though most of the time I'm not aware of it. So I came to, well, how did I come to in step one with the realization of the physical allergy being operative, even though I don't want it to be, it's going to operate and the mental twist being operative, even though I wish it didn't, the mental twist and the physical allergy deem that I am powerless over food. So now I have put the food down but I haven't had a spiritual awakening yet because I'm only on step two. So I came to, and what happened when I came to, I felt every feeling that I had been feeling, but the, but the, the food has deadened my feelings. It has anesthetized me to the pain of not eating. And the pain of not eating is so debilitating, so horrible, so nightmarish, that the pain of eating becomes preferable. That's where relapse lives. Relapse lives in that feeling that we have that anything has to be better than this. And I'm gonna eat this food even though I don't want to even though I know I shouldn't, even though I know I'm screwing myself over, even though I've been told by everybody and their grandmother that to eat this food is harmful to me, I cannot bear the pain any longer of not eating it. And I eat it in search of relief to the debilitating, horrible, 
nightmarish pain of not eating. So I came to, I'm feeling my feelings, believe that there is a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. Believe that there is a power greater than myself. What is the thing we talked about in Bill's story? If you remember when we were in Bill's story, we read the words, I saw, I felt, I believed. I saw, I felt, I believed. And Bill is at that moment, the message of recovery has been delivered to Bill Wilson. I saw recovery. He had seen, he had been hospitalized twice before, and he had seen heavy drinkers and moderate drinkers not drinking, but he also saw alcoholics that were not drinking when he was at the town's hospital in New York City. And the alcoholics that were not drinking were miserable because they were feeling the pain of not drinking. I saw, I felt. What did he feel? He said he felt hope. He saw, he felt, he believed. And when he believed, what was it that he believed? He saw in Ebby that a spiritually based recovery program could work. And as he looked at his childhood friend, Ebby Thatcher, who he knew to be an alcoholic, who he knew to be as hopeless a drunk as there was. He looked at Ebby many times during their life together and said many times, if I ever get to be as hopeless a drunk as Ebby, I'm going to quit drinking. And he looked at his friend. And at that moment, Ebby not only was free of his desire to drink liquor, but he was happy in his release, happy in his release. And he had never seen before in his entire life, somebody who he knew to be an alcoholic who wasn't drinking and was happy about it. I saw, I felt, I believed. And we're gonna take a look at that this morning as we move forward in our program of recovery. But instead of saying the step just for today, instead of saying came to believe, we're going to say came to. And that is why we have the need for the food, because as we come to and the food is down, we are going to feel feelings that we haven't felt for a long time. And maybe some of us have never felt those feelings before as adults. And maybe some of us have, but they're very, very painful. Came to and then believe that there is a power greater than myself that could restore me to sanity. And in that believe that there is a power greater than myself, I have to ask myself a question. Where am I on this scale of belief? Am I an atheist? Maybe. Am I an agnostic? Maybe. Am I a believer? Maybe. 
But what I need to do, no matter where I fall on this scale, no matter where I fall on this arc, I have to be willing to believe, not believe, but be willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. And that is what's very, very important. So let's pick this up on page 44. But it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics. Now, I don't know about you. I know about me. And that's just barely possible, let me tell you. You know, I came in at over five, 600 pounds. I came in when I was 24 years old. My life was in a shambles. My life was a nightmare. My mother died when I was 22. My father died months before I came here when I was 24 years old. I had no money. I was writing bad checks to anybody dumb enough to take them. I was eating about 100 to $150 a day worth of food. This was 1978, 79. I was eating about 100 to $150 a day worth of food. My hygiene was horrible. My life was a nightmare. I did not wear underpants. I had towels shoved between layers of flab. I had skin. I had an overhanging stomach and an overhanging groin. And when the skin would rub together, I would get something called contact dermatitis, where the skin rubs together and there's no oxygen in there. And these red, angry sores would develop. I couldn't walk. I couldn't sit. I couldn't hardly drive. I couldn't stand in one place for very long, physically, mentally, and emotionally, I was a wreck. Financially, I was a wreck. I was an object of ridicule. When I would leave the house, children would laugh at me. Adults would laugh at me. I was an object of ridicule wherever I went. My desire to die was much stronger than my desire to live. I was born a quitter. I was defeated by life. I was defeated by what I saw in myself that I did not like. I was full of self-loathing. I was full of doubt, guilt, shame, remorse, fear. I feared people. I feared every day, every single day that I got up in the morning, I cursed God for not killing me during the night. And yet, I could handle this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need anybody. That's how insane I was when I came into this program 
on February the 2nd, 1979. I was insane, although I didn't know it and I couldn't see the forest through the trees. We are products of Western culture. And when we were little, we all read a book or had a book read to us that is very, very dangerous. It's called The Little Engine That Could. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. No, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. And we're gonna read words in the next chapter that say, remember that we deal with alcohol, cutting, baffling, powerful, without help. It is too much for us. And yet we forget those words or we spit on those words because we wanna take care of everything ourselves, our way. What we're really looking for is to exercise our defiance. Bill Wilson said at the end of his life, we are sensitive, immature rebels. And we are. Dr. Percy Pollock, a noted psychiatrist, came to Bill when the big book was not yet printed. It was only in mimeograph form. And he said, you've got to take some of this language out and replace it with, instead of in the declarative, you have to make it into the not the imperative. You have to take out the imperative, put in the declarative. What's the difference? The imperative is chapter seven. You say this, you do that, you do this, you don't do that. That's the imperative where the book is telling you what to do. Instead, these are the steps we took. These are the things we found because he convinced Bill to make the changes because an alcoholic, a compulsive overeater, a gambler, a drug addict, a love addict, a sex addict is not going to respond to a finger in the face telling us what to do. We are not going to respond to that. And since God, the book, I'm not equating the two. God and the book know that we are students who only learn a certain way, gives us living and printed examples of what to do and not do. But when I came into these rooms, I hadn't had another pair of pants on in a couple of years because I had a pair of pants that were size 80 that a friend of mine who owned a dry cleaner put a slat in the back. It looked ridiculous, but it was at least a way that I could button my pants. And I had a shirt on that was about a six or seven extra large shirt. The two, you couldn't button it. The, the two sides of the shirt were not in the same zip code. I was wearing shoes that should have been thrown out years before. I had nickel, dime, and penny size ulcers in the back of my calves where pus used to come out from the edema, the swelling. The bottoms of my feet were cut into by fissures because of the dry skin of, that obesity produces. I was a mess. Looking back, the most merciful thing is if somebody would have taken me out and back and shot me in the head. 
Thank God they didn't, or I wouldn't be here now. And yet I fought this idea of God like Bill Wilson did. Bill's life was a mess. This was November of 1934. He started drinking in 1917. And for the better part of 17 years, he was as drunk as a skunk. His marriage was falling apart. He couldn't make a living. His personal relationships were in shambles. Every person who loved him, except for his brother-in-law and mother, had turned their back on him. His life, one might say, was living to drink. And yet, Bill Wilson, like Harlan, believed that he could do this on his own, his way. And I indeed cannot. But that ego starts to assert itself. And my demonic, destructive ego will lie to me and say, I don't need God. God's never been there for me. If there was a God, I wouldn't have had the nightmarish life I had. And by the time I was 24 years old, I didn't have a relative in the world. My mother was dead. My father was dead. I had nothing. I had nobody. How did I survive? It's a miracle of God. And I was brought over challenges, carried over challenges, that I didn't even know what the heck was going on. And yet somehow I transcended things that might have killed me. And so have you. There's 163 people here right now. Not one of you came in here after saying to yourself, well, everything in my life is fantastic. I have more money than I will ever spend. I look great. I am so happy with my life. I think I'll go join Overeaters Anonymous and go for the win. Go for the gold. None of you came in here like that. Not one of you. Yes, some of you had easier times with this issue or that issue. But on the whole, you came here because life was beyond what you could handle. I don't care how beautiful you were or are, not were, are. I don't care if you're white or black. I don't care if you're Catholic, Jewish, Protestant, Muslim. I don't care if you're tall or short. I don't care what you are. You did not come in here on a roll. You came in here because of horrific pain. And yet we are giving you the formula to get out of that pain. And the ego will still say, no, thanks, not me. I'm good. No, thanks, I'm good. The last words of the ego. Boy, oh boy, if only that were the case. Were I good? life would have been very, very different, wouldn't it? Would it would have not. It would have been very, very different. I need help. I can't do this alone. Let's go back to page 44. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue. What issue? The issue of this spiritual remedy. 
hoping against hope. We were not true alcoholics. I never doubted that I was. I just didn't understand that you were too. I looked around and I saw people that looked very much like you. I was 24 years old when I came into these rooms. You guys were 20, 30, 40 years older than me. And you were thin. And I didn't, I knew I was sick, but I couldn't for the life of me understand what the heck you were doing here. Because it seemed to me that if I looked like you, I wouldn't be here because I was too dense to realize you don't have to be 500 pounds to feel the whip, the pain, the punishment of this disease. If I looked like Johan over there, I wouldn't be here, but he's got his own hell. He's got his own, he can't sleep at night because of the kids. So he walks around, walks into walls. I tease him about that all the time. I tell him that's their job. Their job is to keep you up at night and make sure you get half crazy from lack of sleep. And, and Carl is bucking for a promotion. He wants, to, he wants to be the head crier, the head screamer. And, and Carl's a year and a half, I think. He's a year and a half. And, and so he keeps uh, Johan and his wife up all the time. So uh, he, he's doing his job. All right. But after a while, we had to face the fact, I'm back on page 44, that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Let's take a look at page 43. The page before this is page 43. And the last sentence of the chapter called More About Alcoholism, the very last sentence of that chapter is his defense must come from a higher power. And when the big, now we can go back to page 44. When the big book wants to teach me something, it doesn't teach it to me once. It teaches it to me through the purest form of teaching imaginable. It teaches it to me through spiraling the information, which is repetition. The purest form of instruction is through repetition. And as it repeats it and repeats it and repeats it, this is the way that I learn what I need to know. His defense must come from a higher power. He perhaps, but the fact that he must find a spiritual basis of life, dash or else. There is nothing of this world, not money, not fame, not fortune, not poverty, not religion, not a philosophy of life, not a lifestyle that is going to make one bit of difference when it comes to treating this disease. Out of 167 people, some of you are whatever, you're wealthy or you're poor or you're black or you're white or you're male or you're female, doesn't seem to make one bit of difference. But the one thing we all have in common is that by working these steps and having a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we will find that that urge to eat these foods that have been killing us all of our life will simply not be there. Stop trying to figure out how it works. Forget that. 
Do what's in front of you and it will work. I do not understand the physiology of exercise. I do not. I do not understand how exercise works. Tomorrow morning is special edition, Sunday special edition on a vision for you. What I will be doing during the time that they are speaking is I will be walking three miles in Scottsdale and I will do this in about 90 minutes. It takes me about one and a half hours to walk three miles. I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works. I don't know whatever. All I know is I feel better and it makes me stronger to do it than not do it. That's all I know. Tomorrow afternoon, I might go to the swimming pool at the place over here on Scottsdale Road. And I will walk 40 lengths of the pool against the resistance of the water in four and a half feet of water. I will walk 1,000 yards. And that helps my middle. It helps my abdomen. And it helps my legs and my knees. I don't know how it works. And I frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. To quote Gone with the Wind, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn how it works. All I know is when I do it, I feel better, I look better, I am better, my blood work is good, I got a clean bill of health from the cardiologist, I got a clean bill of health from the nutritionist, I'm 68 years old, they weighed me at both, and the cardiologist said, you're doing fine, I like where you are with Wait, I like where you are with this, this, and this. Your blood work is good. We're going to go up a little bit on your Lipitor, your anti-cholesterol meds, which is fine. Don't worry about it. Don't panic. Everything else is the same. And she did not take any food away from me when I went to the nutritionist. Not one morsel of food. And I was really... Uh, nervous about that. I don't want to give up food any more than you do. I'm a compulsive overeater. Screw you, witch. I don't want to give up more food. She said, no, I'm not taking anything away from you. You're down. She said, you're doing fine. I'm not taking any food away. She said, see you in January. I said, see you in January. I don't have the power to do that, but God does. Let's continue. We're on page 44 toward the bottom of the page. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you, but cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Atheist is a person who believes in no religious deity and agnostic isn't sure. Now, you don't have to believe in the God that I believe in, and I don't have to believe in the God that you believe in. It is perfectly okay for you to believe as you choose whatever is comfortable for you. And this is where a lot of people fall down. They are welded to an idea of God that has never worked for them. And they refuse to abandon that idea of God. And I'm not here to tell you what God is. I'm not here to tell you what God is not. 
there are philosophers and poets and there are uh, authors and there are all sorts of people that are gonna while the hours away philosophizing about what God is and what God is not. There's two things I need to know about God, just two. There is one and it's not me. There is one and it's not me. Whatever works for you is fine. My strong suggestion is unhitch from an idea of God that does not work for you. If you're, and I know we're going to get questions about this, but if your idea of God is that he's out to get you or he's not going to help you, why don't you choose your own conception of God? But choose one that says he will help me, that he loves me enough and that he's big enough to solve my problem. He's big enough to help me. And he's also big enough to run the world. There's so much about God I don't understand. There's so much about other human beings that I don't understand. There is so much about the world that I don't understand. And I don't have to have an understanding of any of it. I can be blissful in my ignorance because the world is a place that is beyond my understanding. So I have to stop trying to figure out why we have some of the headlines that we have. Why do we have some of these headlines? I'll tell you the truth. I don't know. Why do little children die of leukemia and cancers and all kinds of things? I don't know that either. I don't know. What I do know is that there are people who are addicted to alcohol and food and gambling and love and sex and internet and whatever the drugs, whatever it is. And they are living free lives today, emancipated completely from a desire to destroy their life with those or any substances. That's what I know. That's what I know. And what Ebby modeled for Bill is, yes, I'm a putz like you. I'm a, I'm a putz. And we got drunk together a million times, you and I. And we caused a lot of trouble. You know what Lois Wilson wanted to know when she saw Ebby over there for dinner? She pulled him aside and she says, Ebby Thatcher, if you've got a bottle in your pocket, I'm going to ask you to leave my house. And he said, no, Lois, I don't have a bottle. And I'm, I haven't had a drink in two months. And she looked at him like he was the creature from the Black Lagoon. She hadn't seen him sober since he was a child. She hadn't seen him sober since he was a child. That's what this, that's the power that this program possesses. Don't question it. Latch on to it. Latch on to it like your life depends on it because it does. Because it does. What did we read? That we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. 
bottom of 44. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. Stop right there. There are 165 of us right now. Some of you are wonderful, wonderful, honest, forthright people. And some of you are yutzes. I'm not going to say who's who. I have my suspicions about some of you. But some of you I don't know that well. But here's the deal. If your lifestyle was enough to overcome your compulsive overeating, you wouldn't be sitting here now, would you? Some of you wouldn't steal a penny from anybody. Some of you would. I don't know who's who. It's not important that I know. It's okay. But a mere code of morals will not will not help you. Bill Wilson was a self-centered, selfish, alcoholic son of a bitch. He lied to his wife. He lied to his friends. He let people down. People, except for his brother-in-law, his mother, and his wife, Lois, people turned their back on him. They wanted nothing to do with his alcoholic butt. And yet, he will be remembered for 20,000 years times 20,000 years as one of the greatest human beings that ever walked on the face of this earth. Why is that? Because he accepted this way of life. And his power greater than himself that he chose to call God transcended him above his human defects. And his efforts gave birth to the greatest movement in the history of the world to, to deal with addiction. I'm not comparing it to a religion. I'm not. All I'm saying is when it comes to battling addiction, nothing that has ever been discovered by man has ever come close to the results that the big book of AA and the program of recovery found in Alcoholics Anonymous has produced. And he was Time Magazine's first choice for man of the year. And he would not allow them to do it. They offered to take a picture of him from behind and from a distance. And he said, no. I don't want to exalt myself over the fellowship and accept this award. It could be dangerous if I do. Scott Peck, the noted psychologist, said, that the three things that the 20th century will be noted for more than anything will be these three things. Number one, Kitty Hawk, the era of flight began in the 20th century. Number two, man's landing on the moon, which was a culmination of the computer slash flight era or age, computer age. And number three, 
the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. The Yiddish word of the day is amuna. What does amuna mean? Amuna means faith in Yiddish. Faith, amuna. Now, do you have to have faith in God? No. Do you have to have faith in a religion? No. Here's what you have to have faith in. You have to have faith that if I do the things that these other recovering people do, I will get results that will be beyond my wildest dreams. That's what I want you to believe in. Not a particular God, not a particular religion, not a particular way of life, but the faith that if you do what these men and women do, you'll get what these men and women get. So we're giving you that instruction manual that you've wanted from the time you were babies. Here it is. It's a book and it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And the solution to your problem is a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. And what we're going to be talking about now is not only the great value of that awakening, but we're going to be talking in specifics as to how to get it. And where it begins is in putting the food down. And when you put the food down, you come to. Wow. Not only could I have had a V8, but holy mackerel, look at what the food has been pr protecting me from. Because to a great degree, food was your best friend. Then it turned on you and became your worst enemy, but it protected you from pain. And the unfortunate thing is it still will, but only for about nine seconds. Whereas this way of life will protect you from those things forever. You must trade a short moment of pleasure for deep-seated, a lifetime of true happiness you're trading a moment of pleasure that you get from the food. It takes a second. I mean, a second, nine, 10 seconds. Now it's, oh God, I don't want to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this. And I'm shoveling it in my mouth as fast as I can because of the physical allergy. I'm not shoveling it in my mouth because it tastes so good. Truthfully speaking, there's... Those Doritos, if there was, if those were real cheese, they'd have to keep it in a refrigerator. There's nothing real about Doritos. There's nothing real about most of the crap I put in my mouth. Most of the stuff I put in my mouth was garbage. Oreo cookies, Doritos. Are you kidding me? That stuff is garbage. Garbage. And yet I, you, if you had the Israeli, Chinese, American, English, French, Italian, Spanish armies in front of the, the display where they had the Oreo cookies or the Doritos, I would have fought every one of them and won. I would have fought them all. Bring it on. Nobody's going to keep me from killing myself. And I would have fought to eat that food and I would have been dead. So we have here, it says, but we found that such codes and philosophies did not save us no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. What is moral? Moral is truthful. 
We could wish to be philosophically comforted. In fact, we could will these things with all our might, but the needed power wasn't there. That's the key sentence to this whole thing. And it goes on to say, our human resources as marshaled by the will were not sufficient. They failed utterly. You don't have a moral reason to be bulimic. You don't have a reason to be anorexic. You don't have a reason to be morbidly obese. You have a reason to recover and that's still not good enough. That your need for recovery will not produce a recovery. I'm going to say that two more times because it's very important that we forget it right away. And the only way you're going to hang on to this is to teach it to other people. Clancy Immeslin, one of my heroes, used to say all the time, you do not get this program by absorbing spiritual information. You get this program by transmitting spiritual information. And if that's good enough for Clancy, it's good enough for me. What I'm going to say two more times is the need to recover is not sufficient to bring about recovery. The need to recover is not sufficient enough to bring about recovery. You need a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. The only reason I don't mention spiritual experiences for most of us, that is not going to happen. Now, just to save me time in questions and answers, a spiritual awakening is slow in developing. A spiritual experience is sudden and profound. Fitz Mayo had a spiritual experience. Bill Wilson had a spiritual experience. That means God came to them, boom, boom, and they never drank again. Fitz died in 1943 of cancer. Bill Wilson died of emphysema in 1971. Neither man ever drank again during his life. So I will normally talk about spiritual awakening rather than spiritual experience because spiritual experience is not really part of my life. I've never had a spiritual experience, and most of you will not have not had one either. But just to be as fair as I can be, the reason that I don't mention it is for most of us, a spiritual experience is not realistic. To, to, so to sum up about what we've covered, and I know we're going very slow. Don't text me during the week and say, man, we're really going slow. We've gotten two paragraphs a week. Well, the reason that we're going so slow is this is a chapter. This is a step. This is a concept that a lot of people want to avoid. This idea of God, of of the power, it's very uncomfortable for me. And I know that it's uncomfortable for many because we have this idea of God and we say, I prayed to you that my mother wouldn't die and she died. I prayed to you that my dad wouldn't die and he died. And I prayed to you that my child would get better and they didn't. And so screw you, God. 
sometimes it's just someone's perception that needs to change. Who am I to know anything about life and death? I want what I want. So I want people to live and people. I'm not saying it's good when people die. I'm not, I'm not going out on that limb. I'm not going out on that, on that note. What I'm saying is I don't know the big picture. I don't have the big picture. I don't know. So we get this chip on our shoulder where it comes to God. Bill Wilson read, you know, we read that paragraph where it says the wars that had been fought, the chicanery, you know, all these horrible things. That, that paragraph is as timeless as, as, it, as anything. Since the dawn of time, people have shook their fist at the sky and said, why my mom? Why my dad? Why my child? Why me? And there's no good answer. When my mother died, one of the groups of people that really made me mad was, well, she's in a better place now. How the hell do you know? When my dad died, oh, Max is in a better place now. Really? How do you know? Have you gone past the pearly gates and examined it yourself? And are you coming back to report? We don't know. We just have to go on faith. And that's so hard because we're given as people, we want data, we want, we want facts, we want to know for sure. And sometimes you just got to believe. You just got to have that faith. Amuna in Yiddish means faith. Amuna means faith. That if I do the things that these other men and women did, I will have the recovery that they achieved and maintained. It's not going to be effortless. It's going to take work, but you can do it. And with a little help from God and a little help from each other, we too can recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So what we have been looking for from the day we were born, this instruction manual, this how-to, this DIY, do-it-yourself idea has to be abandoned. There is no DIY recovery. Forget about DIY and do it with your higher power and the fellowship. And if you have a sponsor and you have the fellowship and you're working out of the book and you are tapping into this source that comes from your higher power, you can't miss Page 88 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has one of the most important sentences ever written in any language. Page 88, it is the shortest paragraph in the book. It is a sentence that is a paragraph unto itself, and it simply says, it works. It really does. Haven't you had your own way enough? Haven't you done it your way enough? Forget about the little engine that could. I beg you, 
Forget about this DIY recovery. You're going to do what you're going to do. You're going to do it your way. Forget that. We have a friend. We have a friend that lives in New Jersey. And she says, you must transition from yes, but to yes, ma'am, when it comes to your sponsors. The more I try to fight to have my own way, the worse my life gets. Just a reminder, I'm coming to New York. I'm coming to Westchester County, the 9th, 10th, and 11th of December. It's going to be a little chilly in New York then. Pack your, pack your coats because it's going to be a little chilly there. Not like Chicago, but it'll be chilly. And then on the 13th, 14th, and 15th of January, Los Angeles, California, the LAX Hilton, the birthday. And those will be really, really good times. I usually get to the birthday Wednesday night so we can play Thursday. We can play Friday up until 7. And then at 7 p.m. Friday, they have the grand opening in the ballroom of the Hilton. And it will be very, very fun. Very fun. Get to Los Angeles early. Let's play. Let's have a little fun. We are not a glum lot. We are just not a 